when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Cheese and pickle. All of television history is contained in the box of delights. Hello, I'm Julia Rayside. Each episode, my guest chooses a favourite TV memory to talk about. Joining me today is the writer and broadcaster, Richard Maidley. Richard, thank you for coming. My pleasure. Now, what have you brought with you today to talk about? Well, this has appeared a lot over the years. This is a clip that most people who didn't see the original episode of the show I'm going to talk about uh, will have seen. Yeah. Um, particularly on the sad occasions of the death of the two main protagonists, Morecambe yeah. and Wise. Ah, yeah. Now, as I was growing up, Morecambe and Wise were absolutely required viewing in our family household. I mean, you, yeah. uh, if you missed an episode of Morecambe and Wise, it was like missing your own wedding. Yes. You know, it was like, you know, you, and of course, in those days, there wasn't catch-up. No, and uh, they were big TV events, especially the Christmas specials. Which oh, is what we're the Christmas today. special. I mean, you built your Christmas day around Morecambe and Wise. You know, you really did. And it, that wasn't as sad as it sounds because they were fucking funny. <laughs> I mean, they were extremely funny. And because they because they paid their dues, you know, Morecambe and Wise, they, they'd done the rounds. Yeah. They'd spent, you know, years in music hall and on, on, on tour and all the rest of it and then they'd honed their craft on television their, their first series weren't that good but they'd stayed at it they had become gifted yeah. um, through experience and they kind of met is it Eddie Braben kind of was the and Eddie writer Braben, who was the adding the mix and then suddenly yeah. uh, so, uh, their relationship made sense and uh, the whole thing worked perfect and as everybody knows to appear on the Morecambe and Wise Christmas special was probably superior to being knighted or getting an OBE just much better way yeah. better and more fun it, yeah <laughs> so if you were asked to do it you did it I don't think I've never read that anyone who was asked to go on Morecambe and Wise Christmas special turned it down. As if Glenda you'd Jackson say no. went on no, it. No, of course. You know, big time Some star incredible actors, leaders, Shirley incredible Bassey. Yeah. Shirley Bassey, absolutely. And of course, they went on to have it ripped out of them. Of course. And the episode that I uh, and a lot of people remember with not just affection, but I, it still makes you laugh because oh the, because the it's acting and the scripting was just so pin sharp. Was the one with the conductor and, and composer Andre Previn. That's right. Who was big at that time? He had his is, own series on the BBC. He was cool. He had long hair. He was, he was, hair he was, was kind of gorgeous. Yeah, yeah he was a gorgeous of, bourgeois yeah. hippie. You know, um, American. Conductor um, for the modern age. Yeah. Um, and he was uber cool, and super this is cool. Christmas Day 1971, we're talking was it about. So, yeah, I yeah. So, it was what, what, how old are you then? In 71, 71, I would have been 15. Oh, okay. So, this is all, this 15, all clustered yeah. around your teens. Okay, interesting. One, mm-hmm. one more year before I left school to, to join the local paper. Uh-huh. Anyway, the thing is, you never knew what to expect. You never knew what the gig was going to be. And the gig here with Andre Previn was that he was going to conduct a smallish orchestra with Eric Morecambe on the piano, on the grand piano. That's right. So, it's, you have the opening spiel. And then a few gags, and it's all right, fine. And then it starts, and the, the orchestra kicks in, and they play the opening chords. And it's and Grieg's Grieg, piano concerto. It's Grieg's piano yep, concerto. Yep. And then he turns to Eric Morgan with his bat on and cues him to, to play. And he just kind of chopsticks, basically, or something <laughs> dum, like that. Dum, 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 dum,
chopsticks. So it's not just chopsticks. It's it's all wrong. Yeah. I mean, he's hitting wrong notes. He's oh, hitting yeah. the blacks when he should hit the white. He's changing key without realising it. It's terrible. Yeah. And after about brilliantly terrible, uh, hysterically funnily terrible. And I didn't know this, but Andrew Previn was clearly a frustrated actor because his acting was amazing. Oh, he's he, great, and they give him gags. Like it's not just like a guest star where he's the straight. Oh man. no, they feed him. They gags. give him funny lines. So they have this kind of interregnum where everything stops, and Previn <laughs> says, "What are you doing?" He says, "I'm, I'm playing." Anyway, so yeah. it goes on and on, and finally. Previn says, we have to stop because he keeps misplaying it. And he goes up to him and says, you're playing all the wrong notes. (laughs) And you get this lovely bit of a business between Morecambe and Wise. And Ernie looks at Eric. He can't believe that Andrew, Mr. Preview, Preview. Preview has just insulted his partner. You're playing all the wrong notes. And there's this terrible (laughs) tension between the two of them. And Eric Morecambe looks as if he's going to pull a knife on him. And then he stands up and gets hold of Mr. Preview's lapels and pulls him right into him. Yeah. Right? Like and, and, that, and Preview keeps his face totally straight. Totally I'm calling blank. him Preview now. But yeah, he absolutely says, not a twit. I am playing all the right notes. <laughs> but, but not necessarily in the right order. <laughs> and it's the delivery. It's just and that's when oh, it slaps his face. It was just, I mean... If you'd had the pause button, you would have had to pause it there. Yeah, absolutely. And just sit back and laugh for 10 minutes. It was just... It, I don't know if in the telling it carries... It clearly can't carry with the humour of the actual sketch. And the sketch timing. And, and the, the timing yeah. and the expressions. But it was absolutely a quintessential moment in TV comedy history. And that's why it gets shown. Completely. And it was just it's a beautiful. It was a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a classic not just for Morecambe and Wise, but also the way sometimes a guest star just gets it. And they understand not to do too much, not to try and steal. Not building their part up. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. He, but, but, they, but the part they do give him is significant. You know, he gets lines like, he says they convince him to do the show in the first place because uh, Yehudi Menuhin will be soloing on a different violin <laughs> concerto. And they fudge it for a good two minutes before they reveal him. And they, he, oh, look, we've got a telegram. He's not here oh it's such a shame he couldn't come and you know and he's like oh I have to go and get my bat on it's in Chicago okay goodbye and he's you know he his timing is pretty on point for, uh, for you know a, a musical genius who's never had any comedy experience but it's actually have you ever seen there's an original version of this sketch there was a documentary mean? on, I think it might have been the Channel Gold or something like that a few years back, which was looking at the, so a deep delve into the, the history of Morecambe and Wise. And they did this sketch before on a show called Two of a Kind. What, with, with, with him? No, in 1963, and it was just the two of them. And Ernie, no, Eric, no, Ernie, Ernie Wise, mm-hmm. was the conductor in the sketch. Right. And so it's rather than working together to kind of undermine... The high status they were playing character. off each other. They were doing high status and low status themselves, yeah. Right. And it's uh, it's in black and white. It's, I think it's out there somewhere. I and has it got the same punchline? I'm, pl- I'm playing all the right notes. It has. Not necessarily in the right order. But interestingly, delivered in a far less effective way. He doesn't grab his lapels. He just sort of says it. He almost throws it away. Gosh. So in the reworked, far more fleshed out sketch with... I, kind of, I think it's because it's got a proper a- target. Eight years later. Yeah, yeah. It's been reworked. I think it probably was Braben that reworked it. It's actually originally written, and there are big line changes in it, but it's been originally written by two other writers called Sid Green and Dick Hills right. who used to write for them on the show called Two of a Kind. So yeah, it, it's, it only came to light recently, but it's... Um, it, I, never, it's I never knew that. That's really interesting. It's been done. I know. But it's very interesting about, as you, you mentioned, writers and how a good team of writers or an individual writer can absolutely transform something. Yeah. I mean, Bob Hope, you know, the comedian, yeah. his radio show was the biggest thing in America yeah. for about 15 years, the Bob Hope Radio Hour. Yeah. Um, and he had a team of writers. I mean, Bob Hope himself, in terms of a creative comedian, wasn't that funny. No. But he obviously, he was very good at acting. Great funny. performer, and he and he paid a large. He invested in a large amount of money, his own money, in having a big team of writers. Absolutely. I think he had 16, 
17 writers on yeah. it. I mean, that's a lot on yeah. his show. And there's a very famous story about him. One night, uh, he was given his script. He used to get his script about an hour before transmission, live transmission. He wow. looked at it. And uh, he was ruthless, Bob Hope. And he got to, like, sort of page 14 and looked. He said, uh, we're a gag short here. Oh, wow. And the writer said, well, no, Bob, because it, I'm... T- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're a gag short Excuse here. Excuse me. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, this, uh, there, we need a gag there. And they said, well, um, half the writers have gone home. He said, we need a gag there. Uh, I reckon I'll be at that spot at about uh, quarter past eight. Right. I want the gag there. And he Thanks. just knew that. And he knew it was going to come. Wow. So he opens the show live and he does his opening two, three, four, five, six, seven pages of material. Yeah. And the gag's still not there. And he turns the page and he's now coming and a piece of paper is put in front of him. Oh, my God. And this is the gag that they'd come up with. It's a great, great gag. Yeah. The vice president of America at that point was LBJ. And he, uh, part of the shtick about him was that he was thick. Okay. Actually, he wasn't. But that was the shtick. But that was LBJ the story. Was, was, yeah. was, was dim. Okay. Uh, so this was the gang. He said, uh, and Bob finishes his last gang and said, oh, uh, news just in. This just in from the White House. Hey, folks, there's been a big fire in the West Wing of the White House. Don't worry, nobody hurt, nobody hurt. And <laughs> the fire's out now. But the bad news is that LBJ's uh, library has been completely destroyed. Pause. Both books. Pause. <laughs> nice. Longer pause. <laughs> Including one he hadn't even coloured in yet. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the layers in that joke. Uh, absolutely. That's, now, that, that was splendid. written for him in 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's a good gag. It's you a know, great it's gag. A, and, but like that. Sometimes so these, writers need pressure to come up yes, with their good stuff, they? you know? Yeah, don't totally. Yeah. Uh, uh, which just tells you all you need to know. that The audience at home wouldn't have even thought about there being a writer involved in no, that. No, no. That was Bob Hope being incredibly funny. No, it wasn't. Off the cuff because it's no. topical. It was and, some bloke in a back room who's yeah. thinking, if I don't come up with this gag, I haven't got a job. It's so often the case, though, isn't it? I think we... We look at comedy. We've only really recently started to talk about Morgan and Wise having had a writer like Eddie Braben, sort of a famous name now because he's talked about more. But hmm. yeah, lots of really amazing performers needed wordsmiths to help them do their thing. It's kind of a bit heretical to say this, but it's sort of true. Morecambe and Wise eventually left the BBC yeah. and left Eddie Braben yeah. and went to ITV. And I speak as someone who works all the time for ITV, but this is a long, long, long time yes, ago. Yeah. And the general consensus was that ITV ruined Morecambe and Wise. It sort of didn't work after it that, It just it? never no. worked. And was Those it because they had commercial days. breaks and the rhythm of the show, that, that long, looping rhythm of yeah. sketches, songs, material, was broken by the ad break? Was it because they didn't have Eddie Braben? I actually think it, I think they had some very good writers. Yeah. I suspect it was because people weren't used to ad breaks. I think you're right, actually. The rhythm of the thing the rhythm just changed. goes, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and it you're beca- stopping and starting. And it became nakedly commercial. Yeah. You know what I mean? And no one On the BBC, it wasn't commercial. It yeah. wasn't, and, of course, you knew they weren't getting anything like the money on the BBC that they yeah. got for ITV. They'd been poached. And it somehow spoiled it. Yeah. It's sad. I think because, obviously, I was more of a reruns of Morecambe and Wise rather than watching it go out but they became as much a part of you know because the the, the generation before was passing stuff on as much a part of our Christmases we'd make a point of you know just putting I bought my dad a a VHS on then a DVD when that wore thin you know and we'd watch one on Christmas Day because they were just nothing sort of like them has ever been made as well no. since, I don't think. No. The variety that the newsreader's doing a dance routine, you know, just the things that they thought of. And they united a whole clutch of generations. Yeah, they did. You could and watch at the age well, of seven or eight and get it. Yeah. You could watch at 78 yeah. and get it. I mean, you watched as a family and you all laughed at the right moments, yeah. you know. So it was a universal humour of the kind you don't see now. And, cro- yeah, cross-class too, I think. Oh, I totally think it cross-class. was just something that everyone loved giggling and feeling silly over yes. after, you know, a few sherries. It just unsurpassed. Oh, in terms of... In t- in terms of class, it was equivalent to being asexual. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it was classless. Absolutely, yeah. Anyway, that's my favourite memory. The glory days. The glory oh, days of if only we could just M&W. bring them back. Anyway, thank you for that. That was lovely. I might have to go home and watch some reruns now. Before you leave, though, would you please plunge into the box of delights and take a question? Who is your Sherlock? 
Oh, I see. Jeremy Brett, Cumberbatch, mm. etc. That's a good one. Because um, obviously Cumberbatch has sort of overshadowed all, but I'd still say me, personally, probably Brett. I would say that Cumberbatch gave a more mannered performance and I suppose a sexier performance. But Some would agree with you. But Jeremy Brett for me, was the homes that I, I saw in my mind when I read the stories. I first read the complete works of when I was in hospital having my tonsils out. When I was oh, about really? Ten, nine or ten, yeah. And uh, I read the lot. And, wow. Um, and I do remember when I saw Jeremy Brett, he was a Granada production, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, as, uh, as Sherlock Holmes, he looked and sounded and acted exactly like the Sherlock in my head. It's Conan something Dora about had. his profile, His isn't profile, it? His, his, um, his rectitude. Yeah. There's, there's something going on there, which wasn't there. Cumberbatch did it very differently. Yeah. Almost, it was almost a pastiche of Holmes, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what um, you mean. Yeah. And, a mo- and a very modern one with a nod to sort of modern sensibilities. Yeah. But Brett did it like Conan Doyle wrote it. Yeah. And uh, so for me... Jeremy He's Brett. yours. I like that. You must have interviewed Cumberbatch. We're just calling people by their surnames now. But I interviewed him once because it wasn't a filmed interview. It was a junket and he just kept on slipping his shoes off and he wasn't wearing any socks and it really put me off. Ah. <laughs> so ah. now all I can think of is feet, feet, feet every time Did I see Did he have smelly feet? No, not at all. I think ah. he was freshly showered. But um, okay. just it's something about someone having do. no shoes or socks on when they're talking to you is a bit I like, I can't Ooh. wear shoes without socks. Well, no, me either. I mean, sandals, yeah, sure, you know, Birkenstocks and stuff. But, Absolutely. I mean, as we get older, No, come on. Sandals and socks as we get older is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Richard, thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. You can find links to the YouTube clips from today's episode on our Twitter feed at Box Delights Pod. Come and say hello. Bye. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.